quick disclaimer this week, we're in Greek myth, and we talk about the beginning of Zeus and Hera's story, so Zeus is Zeus. And also, other characters imitate him. We never get too explicit, but please check out the post on mythpodcast.com, linked in the show notes. This week, on Myths and Legends, we're back in Greek mythology with the story of Hephaestus, the Olympian smith. We'll see how you should not, surprise, surprise, hang out with the worst beings in the universe, and that you can't engineer your way out of sad feelings. The creature this week is that bunny from Monty Python if it lived in the sea, and was venomous, and was also somehow more bloodthirsty. This is Myths and Legends, episode 318, Sad Lad. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. We're doing this thing where, each month, we tell a story of one Olympian from Greek mythology. This time, it's Hephaestus, the sad lad smithy who just can't catch a break. We'll jump in pretty much immediately after last month's Hermes episode, with little baby Hermes needing a hat adjustment. Hephaestus smiled as he watched Hermes put on his cap and sandals. Ah, he was a good kid. Hephaestus then looked directly at the camera. You know, look around you here on Olympus, and you'll see so many things I've made. Hermes' new helmet and sandals, of course, but also the Aegis. You know, every time you hear Homer say, Aegis bearing Zeus, he's referring to my handiwork. I made little Cupid's bow and the armor of Achilles. Prometheus stole fire from my forge when he gave it to the humans. You could say I'm the unsung hero of Olympus, the backbone of everything that... Hephaestus, Zeus yelled. Hephaestus beamed, yes, Papa? Zeus fumed. First, the new kid needs an adjustment on his hat. Second, stop calling me that. You're not mine. Hermes, fluttering around, knew enough to stay out of whatever this was. So he kept quiet, much like Hephaestus did as the Olympian silently adjusted Hermes' helmet and sandals. Hermes could see that Hephaestus wanted to know, and that Zeus's constant belittling of him hurt. But how is that possible? Hermes asked. Oh my gosh, shut up, Hephaestus, Zeus said, then stopped himself. He said he was sorry, it was just a reflex. First, that would mean that he and Hera would have actually had to... Ugh. Am I right? Hermes was confused. They actually had a lot of kids that even Hermes knew about. Eris, the goddess of strife. Ares, the dude over there who reeked of blood. Enyo, another goddess of war. Actually, Hermes was starting to pick up on a theme. Zeus laughed. <laughs> yeah, when this guy was conceived, things were actually pretty chaotic around here. Hermes blinked. They just finished up a war that killed thousands of humans and lasted over 10 years. A guy was still on his way home from it. And all that came from a beauty contest between goddesses that went sideways. But, okay, chaotic. Yep, it's actually kind of a sweet story, Zeus laughed. You see, when Hephaestus was conceived... I'm sorry, are you serious right now? Hephaestus struggled to his feet. He had been wanting to know the circumstances of his birth uh, forever. His first memory was waking up on the ground on the island of Lemnos. This kid asks one question and suddenly it's story time? Anytime I want to know it, shut up, Hephaestus. Zeus got 
right up in his face, nose to nose. Did Hephaestus want his next memory to be waking up on the ground, too? How long did he fall the last time Zeus threw him down? Five days? Nine. Hephaestus studied his metal legs. Nine. Current Olympus record. Want to go for ten? Want to go for forever? Hephaestus didn't make eye contact and didn't say that that didn't make sense. No. No, he didn't. Good. Get out, Zeus said. Hephaestus said, what? This was his origin story. He needed to know this. Then go ask your mom. You're not going to listen to me tell it, Zeus said. He was like one of his statues down on earth. There was no negotiating, no bargaining. Any question was seen as a refusal, and refusals were met with unrelenting violence. Zeus didn't move, didn't say another word, until Hephaestus was in the hallway, leaving. Okay, story time, he patted his knee. Hermes fluttered on over. So, me being the best papa to so many great little kiddos like you decided, hey, I should be a papa to even more. Zeus said as Hermes took a seat, and the story began. Hephaestus made his way to the forge on Olympus and packed his copper ingots. He wanted to know. He needed to know. He had asked his mother, Hera, before, and she refused to tell him. Well, he would make it so she wouldn't refuse him. So she couldn't refuse him. Hey, so, we need to talk, Hephaestus told his mother, Hera, as he took a seat across from her in his forge on the island of Lemnos. She glared at him. It's just, six months ago I was up on Olympus and Zeus started to tell where I came from. I lost my cool, telling him it was unfair and he sent me away. Since then, I haven't been able to stop thinking about it. I don't remember waking up in your arms. I don't remember anything other than the ground, Hephaestus sighed. Where did I come from? Who is my father? Hera sat there a long moment before Hera looked down at her mouth and then back to Hephaestus. The smith smacked his forehead. Oh yeah, sorry, that's right. The gag, so sorry. He waved his hand and the chair, the one he spent months building after leaving Olympus, the one that could hold a god, unwound the bronze gag from his mother's mouth. But that's the only thing it unwound. It remained wrapped around her arms, torso, and ankles. Hera told her son to release her right now and she would only have him severely beaten. Hephaestus said that she wouldn't be able to do anything at all if she could never leave. If she told him what he wanted, he wouldn't hurt her. Which was true, he was super uncomfortable even having her here like this. She was going to be so mad at him, he would never hurt her. That just wasn't who he was. Hera sighed and said, okay. She would tell him the story of where he came from. But, like a lot of stories, it started before him. You see, when Hephaestus came around, Hera had already settled on the idea that Zeus had to die. He was a monster. She had been piecing it together. His long, long list of lovers, of victims. Hera remembered her, his first wife, his first queen, Metis. She had helped Zeus. 
She was an Oceanid, the daughter of two titans herself. She helped to overthrow her own parents out of love for him, and, for a while, they were happy. Then, Zeus got a glimpse of a possible future. A child. A child born Amidus would be stronger than him. Mightier. It would overthrow him. For the rest of them, one day, Midas was simply gone. The queen disappeared and no one would talk about it. Hera learned, through whispers, that Zeus ate her. It wasn't long before Zeus took a new queen, his own aunt, Themis. She was divine justice, like literally divine justice personified. And together their children were the seasons, wise laws, human justice, peace, and the fates. He didn't get rid of her, only left her. And the symbolism that was about as blunt as Heracles' club wasn't lost on the women of Olympus. That Zeus was divorcing divine justice. Your enemy was next. She was either the primordial goddess with whom the world was made because she didn't have a place to rest her feet in the unending void, or the sister of Zeus's first wife. The sources aren't incredibly clear, but what they are clear on was, at this point, something monstrous was growing inside the king of the gods. This was where the Zeus we know emerged. He chased down his own sister next, Demeter, and forced himself on her in the form of a bull, and she became pregnant with Persephone. In addition to Demeter, there were countless nymphs, humans, and oceanids, before his gaze fell on her, and Hera stopped him in his tracks. There were many versions of the story that would emerge over the years. Hera refused because she knew the type of man her brother was. Also, he was her brother. He would spread the rumor that they had a forbidden love, hiding from their mother, or that, when she was hiding out in a cave, a human came and convinced her to give him a chance. Zeus emerged with a sheepish grin and flowers and said he didn't want just a night with her, but a lifetime, eternity. He loved her and he wanted to marry her. She accepted and their wedding night lasted 300 years. That was the lie. The truth was that Zeus was afraid of his older sister. And being the protector of women, the goddess of women, family, and marriage, she held a power he didn't completely understand. Her flat refusal of him gave Zeus pause. For so long, he had felt all-powerful that no force in the heavens, earth, or underworld could stand against him. And here was her, telling him he couldn't have something he wanted. Because of that, she became all he thought about. Then, one morning, while he watched her from afar taking care of a cuckoo, he found his move. We'll get back to Zeus being absolutely terrible, but that will be right after this. Hera looked down and saw the cuckoo, beaten, bloody, and waterlogged. <laughs> the poor thing, it was almost dead. Even if the cuckoo wasn't one of Hera's sacred animals, she would have saved the creature. That's just what she did. Cupped in her hands, she brought it back to her home. The Olympians could see the entire world, but, well, Hera was an Olympian too. She knew what her brother could see and what he couldn't. She had refused him, 
she knew what he was. She had a small home on her own, deep in the mountains, a far and isolated place only she knew. The little cuckoo snuggled up next to her as she dried it off, and Hera smiled. She turned, kneeling to scoop some seeds for the bird, and rose to go grab a little straw bed she had warmed by the fire. She didn't see the shadow growing from the small bird. She didn't see her brother standing in front of the door. And that's where Ares came from, Hera said, tears streaming down her face. Hephaestus sat stunned as his mother recounted the attack. She knew she was pregnant before Zeus dressed. She said she accepted. (laughs) Zeus laughed, uh, accepted what? She accepted his proposal for marriage. Zeus said that that was nice, but he didn't know. It just felt like they wanted different things now. She wanted to marry him. He didn't want to marry her. Sometimes people grow apart. It's not you, it's me and all that. Oh, it's you, Hera said, rising. She wasn't a human. She wasn't even Demeter. Oh, yeah, she knew. She knew all of the horrible things Zeus had done, and this one, this was one he would live with. The gods were on her side, their mother. Everyone knew what Zeus was turning into, and yeah, he had his thunderbolts to keep the Olympians afraid. But did he have enough? she could see his eyes. He was reeling. So she would marry him. She would be his queen. They would have more children. They would be linked forever, but not in a way that only she would carry. And they were. They married. The whole pantheon celebrated what they both knew to be a prison. Hera had more children, but she never convinced herself she was happy. She saw him down on earth, making more Thetises, Demeters, and your enemies every day. And when Athena sprang from her father's forehead, the long gestating remnant of Metis, Zeus's first love, Hera was reminded of his legacy. She knew she had to kill him. She had to give birth to one who would be greater than her husband, to Hephaestus. To do so, she would have to say a prayer. She would have to pay a visit to their old enemies, the ones with powers even greater than their own the Titans, she threw a cloak over her head and began the long journey to Tartarus, where they were imprisoned after the war. Hephaestus waved his fingers. There were tears in his eyes now, too. His mother, she had been through so much. The chair unwound. She was free. He was sorry. Hera sighed. It it was good. It was nice to be able to tell someone this sort of thing. She was sorry too. For everything. He said that's okay, but if she wanted to continue, he would like to hear the rest of the story. She smiled and resumed. In Tartarus, Hera began removing her cloak after talking to the Titan. What, uh... What you doing? He asked. Hera said that she prayed for a child, so... Yeah, and I said yes. We're like, we're gods. It's cool. There are so many ways to have children. Like, look at how Aphrodite came about. Yeesh. The Titan grimaced. So yeah, really, we're good. Hera thought about it. Yeah, Aphrodite's origin was pretty messed up. Okay, so... So you're gonna have a baby. 
no man needed, conceived only out of your hatred and spite. And he's going to be greater than his father. He'll overthrow Zeus? Oh, he'll be greater for sure, the Titan said. Hera shrugged, huh? Good enough for her. Zeus was confused when his wife was pregnant again. He didn't remember, but ow, maybe they did. He didn't remember a lot of things. Wine was fun like that. He asked around to see if anyone else, but no. So it had to be him. It's not yours. Hera beamed as the goddess of pregnancy entered the room. Zeus said, what? She said it was the thing he feared most. The reason he ate the only woman he ever truly loved. The reason he didn't get with Thetis. This child would be greater than his father. He would overthrow Zeus. Hera laughed as she cried. She pushed. A storm grew in the distance. Dark clouds formed. This was a big day. This was the birth of an Olympian. The baby was the next to cry, and Hera raised little Hephaestus to the sky. Look, look on the face of your doom and despair. Zeus winced. Uh, Hera paused. What? Zeus said, well, um, the baby sure does fill me with despair. Only because he is so ugly. Not even by baby standards. Like, kind of ugly babies are still babies, so they're still cute. This is ugly by grown man standards. It's an ugly baby, Hera. Zeus did make a joke about the baby Hephaestus having a face only a mother could love, but he was wrong about that, too. And Hera recoiled. <laughs> Zeus laughed. Oh, this was fun. Let's do this again sometime. What a monster. Hephaestus shook his head. Zeus, you know what? You know, no, he was glad. He was glad the king of the gods was not his father. He didn't want to be related to someone like that. Yeah, so then we lived happily ever after. The end, Hera rose. Hephaestus cocked his head. See, well, okay, the thing was, that wasn't exactly how he remembered it. Oh, then you're remembering it wrong, my sweet boy, Hera said picking up her purse and making for the door. I remember waking up in the dirt? In pain? Hephaestus searched his own memory. Uh, if you mean waking up in mommy's arms, then yeah, you're right. Hera was jiggling the door handle. How did this thing work? Hephaestus looked down. Uh, okay. Maybe he was wrong? Of course you're wrong, my dear. I'm Hera, queen of the gods, and your mother. I know best. She finally figured it out. The door swung open, and she found herself face to face with your enemy. Oh, hello, Hera crossed her arms. Your enemy was, of course, one of Zeus's earlier wives we just talked about. It might be awkward for us, but honestly, if Hera couldn't handle running into someone her husband had a history with, she literally would never be able to leave her room on Olympus. Excuse me, Hera made to step around the woman, but your enemy wouldn't budge. Tell him the rest of the story, Hera. Hera said, she did. They lived happily ever after. Your enemy remained. Her eyes met with Hephaestus's. If she wasn't going to tell her son, then your enemy would. Your enemy had held on to this secret for years. 
it was Hera's to tell, but it was clear that Hera was never going to do the right thing. Eurynome told Hephaestus that she and Thetis had found him in the dirt, there on the island of Lemnos, because his mother had thrown him. Hephaestus blinked. What? Eurynome nodded. She saw it herself. This was the ancient world. What is beautiful is good. What is good is beautiful. She didn't find you beautiful. And because Zeus didn't seem all that scared of you, she simply tossed you over her shoulder. Like trash. It was all muffled for Hephaestus. On some level, he had always known. He knew his mother didn't want him, that Zeus never saw him as a son. But to have it confirmed that he was literally thrown out like garbage, he was a baby. And for the only person he should have been able to trust to care for him, to have done something like that? We found you there, in the dirt. You fell for days. You needed help, Yernemy said at the time when she and Thetis found the boy. They raised him in a cave, away from the Olympians. I, I lost my legs for you. Hephaestus turned to his mother, his sweet bronze steampunk legs whirring as he walked over. Oh, and real quickly, it's always been my headcanon that Hephaestus crafted prosthetics for himself. It just makes sense to me. He crafts so much for everyone else. He has cauldrons and such that walk around by themselves, and even makes automatons. So it fits perfectly that he'd do that for himself. I can't really find anything about it in the literature, so know that that's something I added. Anyway, Hephaestus did return to Olympus after he was thrown. Your enemy in Thetis told him of his origin as Hera's son without telling him what he didn't remember. He had bad timing, though. It was after Hera tried to stage a coup against Zeus. We talked about it on a previous episode, and we'll touch on it again later in Hera's episode, but Zeus found out and strung up Hera by chains, weighing her down with anvils. She wailed for days, with no one daring to defy Zeus. Hephaestus, though, knew that this was his destiny. This was why he had been born. Now, Hephaestus would do what he had been made to do. He would confront his father, and, if he needed to, he would be the next phase of the cycle. Son would depose father, probably without a castration this time, that was gross. Hephaestus stood, weapons in hand. He issued a challenge to the bemused Zeus, and charged. And then Zeus, yes, palmed his face and flung him, once again, from Olympus. This time, though, the damage was physical as well as psychological. His legs, they were shattered by the fall. He would heal in some way, but he would need help to walk for the rest of his life. Like he does with so many things in his life, Hephaestus crafted his own solution. And it was, I mean, they were frankly awesome. Now, though, he burned with rage. Rage for Hera, his mother. His own mother had cast him out. But no, no mother treats her child like that. Hephaestus called out to the chair and the golden tendrils found Hera's wrists and ankles, pulling her back into the cavern. She screamed and raged as the chair gripped her tighter and tighter. Hephaestus would do this? Do this to his own mother? Hephaestus ignored her as the chair pulled her into the darkness of the cave. We'll see what happens when Olympus comes knocking, but that will, once again, be right after this. 
Knock, knock. Dionysus found a bleary-eyed Hephaestus in his cave forge on Lemnos. In the past few weeks, so many Olympians had come down, trying to secure Hera's release. They were all met with the same response when demanding Hephaestus return his mother, Hera, that Hephaestus didn't have a mother. The best had been Ares, god of war, and Hephaestus's half-brother. He was a full child of Zeus and Hera. He issued a challenge, but the blood-reeking god himself ran away from battle when he saw the enraged Hephaestus charging him with firebrands. Now, it was Dionysus, god of wine. He was alone, too. Buddy, if I wanted to fight you, I'd have a bunch of drunk women storm your cave. But, like, a bunch of feral, inebriated people are remarkably unorganized, so it would just result in everybody being tired and hungover. Let's just skip to the end where I come in for a drink. Dionysus held up two bottles of wine. Hephaestus stepped forward and attacked Dionysus with a hug. He gripped the bean pole of a theater kid, sobbing on his shoulder. Dionysus patted Hephaestus on the back. There, there, all right. Dionysus has got you, big guy. Dionysus has got you. Let's go sit down and talk it out. Look, I'm going to take you back to Olympus, Dionysus said. You need to confront this. Hephaestus said that they didn't want him there. <laughs> Dionysus shrugged. Uh, they were a bunch of sociopaths. Who cared what they wanted? Dionysus said, look, terrible things happen. They do. People are people. Gods are gods. They're going to act in selfish ways that hurt others. Sometimes a lot. You are strong, though. You can't let these bad things that happened to you as a kid continue to hurt you. At some point, you have to decide that it's your life and you're responsible for your own happiness. You can't let people whose priorities are obviously messed up and irredeemable continue to tell you how you should see yourself. Dionysus took a swig. Hey, look at me. My dad was tricked by your mom into killing my mom, and I was born from his thigh. I have a dad, but no mom. You have a mom, but no dad, and everybody's terrible. That doesn't mean you are, or you have to let them make you believe you are. Hephaestus knitted his brow. You know what? Dionysus was right. He tried to rise, but he could barely move. What was this? Was his wine drugged? Dionysus said, no, you've had like five bottles. I'm surprised you're still upright. But I did tell you, I'm taking you back to Olympus so you can confront this stuff. Hephaestus responded with a thud and a snore. I'm an Olympian in my own right. I won't let you or mom or anyone continue to determine my worth, Hephaestus declared. Zeus said, okay, that sounded very 90s pop psychology of him, but whatever. Cool. Glad he crafted himself a spine. He was going to need it to compete with the guys who wanted to get with his new wife. Hephaestus said, uh, what? Uh, yeah, you won her. Congrats, bud. She was the whole reason everybody was coming down to you. Festus said he thought the reason was that they wanted Hera back. <laughs> oh, Zeus said, yeah, I mean, mission accomplished. She was just like the MacGuffin or whatever for them to compete for her. But yeah, Hephaestus got her. Hephaestus grimaced. Okay, what was going on? Who was this 
her, Zeus kept referring to. <laughs> Zeus grinned and stepped aside, revealing her, Aphrodite. Okay, real quickly, timelines are a bit fuzzy. I appreciate the support and enthusiasm for these episodes. I half expected people to write in with corrections from this and that ancient source, but I think everyone who would write in with corrections recognizes that the Olympians came from collecting and sometimes merging several different local deities, and that, over the years of translations, what wasn't lost to time we've sort of flattened out to make it easier to understand, so there are contradictions even among the ancient sources. Anyway, all that to say, Aphrodite, the goddess of love, lust, beauty, passion, and all things that connected in that particular word web, had two different origins. And this actually made the Greeks a little anxious. We'll get into this next month. But she either came from the foam that gathered up around the castrated bits of Uranus when Cronus rescued the Titans, making her one of the oldest Olympians, or when Zeus decided to be Zeus with an Oceanid. I guess Plato, when he wasn't going on about cave shadows, tried to reconcile this particular contradiction, saying that there were actually two different Aphrodites, one to represent pure heavenly love, the heavenly Aphrodite, and the one who represented worldly pleasures, the pandemic Aphrodite. There was only one Aphrodite here, though, and Hephaestus was stunned. She is causing a lot of problems up here because, well, all the men want to get with her because she's so beautiful. Hephaestus was about to say that that sounded like a men problem more than an Aphrodite problem, but Zeus's solution was simple. Marry her off to a man no one would envy. Hephaestus. Ah, I was just kidding. According to some sources, he had pledged her to the man who freed Hera from Hephaestus, but Hephaestus found the loophole when he did it himself. Regardless, she was all his, bud. You two kids enjoy your forced marriage. And they didn't. As we've talked about, Forcing people to be together kind of makes the situation lose its luster. Hephaestus was back. He had his sweet forge on Mount Olympus. He had jobs coming in all the time. The gods and men admired his handiwork. He was back, but he wasn't home. He was revered. The people of Earth made sacrifices to him. He was honored as a great and powerful craftsman. So why didn't he feel like he belonged? Part of it was. He had no one. Dionysus was a friend, of course, but he was always off on this or that revelry. Zeus tolerated him. Hera didn't speak to him because she had no use for him, and also he kidnapped her for a time. The other Olympians always had their schemes or duties, and Hephaestus' wife? Well, sometimes he felt like no one hated him more than her. The couple settled into bed that night. Hephaestus rolled over. Hey, so, how about... Nope, nope, okay, got it. Understood. Staring at the ceiling, he said, Uh, so, uh, probably just a nothing thing, but when he was out at the forge, a neighbor said that his brother, Ares, the jacked and intense god of war, stopped by. Aphrodite said, Yep. Hephaestus said, Uh, was there anything he needed from Hephaestus? Like, I don't know, new sword or the shield or... I, Hephaestus knew how much he loved his killing. Nope, his wife said. Oh, okay, then I'm just curious. No, no big deal. But why'd he stop by? There was a long bit of silence before Hephaestus heard the soft sounds of Aphrodite sleeping. (laughs) 
Yeah, I guess, I don't know. Sometimes I get the feeling like she's cheating on me, Hephaestus said later on that week over lunch with Dionysus. <laughs> yeah, I get that feeling too, Dionysus said. What do you mean by that? Hephaestus spat out his wine, but Dionysus turned toward Earth. Oh, he had to go. Someone called on the god of wine. Since this was the ancient world and things were pretty miserable, people did a lot of that. Gotta go. Hephaestus sat in his glowing forge. He... He needed to be real with himself. Aphrodite wasn't faithful. Hephaestus sat back, pained by this reckoning. He should go talk to her. There were reasons for this. They weren't a good match. They had nothing to talk about, nothing in common. The things that the other valued weren't prized by their spouse. They were forced into this. Still, it hurt. Then, Hephaestus' eyes looked up to his forge. Sure, he could talk through it, and he could deal with the pain, or he could engineer a solution where he could catch her in the act and never have to deal with any discomfort himself. So, he went to gather some ingots. Three, two, one. Hephaestus heard the net fall, the trap spring. Aphrodite and Ares yelled out. Unbreakable chains rigged up over the bed, set to go off a few minutes after the two people found their way there. Hephaestus, did you do this? Aphrodite screamed. She and Ares were in a extremely intimate and compromising position, and neither of them could move, thanks to Hephaestus's contraption. How could you do this? Hephaestus yelled. Aphrodite said, who cares? Hephaestus said he didn't know what she was talking about. They were married. That meant something. Aphrodite tried to shake her head without scratching her cheek on Ares' helmet that he wore all the time. No, no, it didn't. She had been forced to marry him. She never wanted to. She never loved him. And so what, he did this to her too? Hephaestus had never really loved her either. But he thought there were rules to how the world should work. A spouse shouldn't do this to someone. Hephaestus' whole life was coming to grips with the realization that the way the world should work wasn't always how it did work. Mothers should love their children. Spouses should love each other. People shouldn't lie, harm, or abuse each other. But for some reason, that's not how it worked. Not for him. Tears started streaming, and his fingers fumbled at the contraption that kept the couple bound. He had made a grave error. Then, the voices. Can we come out? He heard Zeus yell. Poseidon said he had stuff to do, but he really wanted to see. Aphrodite's eyes widened as she looked at her husband. Who was that? Hephaestus tried to disarm the device, but he wasn't fast enough. The Olympians threw back the curtain. In Hephaestus's indignation, he had sent out invitations to the shaming of his wife. As they emerged from behind the curtain, Hephaestus realized that he had terribly misjudged the situation. Now, clear-eyed, he saw why he was gravely mistaken in his hope that Zeus and the others would offer a sober and devastating rebuke of his wife's behavior, because that was not what happened. Zeus whistled and clapped for his son. Some of the others cheered. Even the more straight-laced and proper of the Olympians felt a certain heat on their face. 
and didn't completely look away. They were all unified, though, in one reaction. When Hephaestus saw that this was a world in which he would never truly belong, he found himself sobbing. Zeus saw Hephaestus and lost it. Oh my gosh, the little cuckold was crying. Whether they wanted to go along with the crowd or they just found humor in the fact that Hephaestus had tried to get the group that turned into animals in order to get with humans to shame his wife's fairly vanilla infidelity, the rest of the group turned, pointed, and laughed. Hephaestus' legs whirred underneath him as he ran from the room, from the forge, and from Olympus itself. I'll be real. That was a low point in my life. In a life where I was abandoned by my mother and thrown off Olympus twice, that was rock bottom. There was no hiding. That was the world saying, you don't belong. And you know what? It was right. I didn't belong up there. They're monsters, the Olympians. Hephaestus, decades older, sat back in his forge on Lemnos. Golden automatons, gold robots Hephaestus actually built in the mythology, brought the pair some drinks. Okay, so what did the next few years hold for you? It's been a while. Dionysus looked at his recorder, hoping that Hephaestus would keep it brief because this episode was going long. Glad you asked, D. Hephaestus leaned forward on his elbows. The next few years, they were a learning experience for him. He couldn't really blend in among the humans, given his sweet prosthetic legs, so he took some time for quiet contemplation. He met and spent some time with Maya, Hermes' mom. They both hated the Olympians. The Romans would make a bigger deal of that relationship. But a relationship built on shared loathing can't last. He wanted one based on love. He searched the world over and made a lot of wonderful friends inspired people, and then, well, then he came home to where he grew up, Lemnos, and he reconnected with her, Caballero. They were friends when he was a kid. She was a nymph and one of the daughters of Proteus, the old man of the sea, and they hit it off. She knew him and she loved him. They had two wonderful kids, twins known as the Caballeri, and they were happy. He finally found that place he had been looking for his whole life a place where he belonged, his home. Hephaestus called in his family and hugged his two kids. His wife threw her arm around him. In that way, he was greater than Zeus because he was there. He loved and accepted his kids as they were. He wasn't a monster who assaulted people and tried to bend the world to his will. Hephaestus smiled and he took a deep breath. He was happy and he was home. All right, I think we got it. Thanks, bro, Dionysus said. Then Hephaestus' eyes widened as, out the cave door, he saw a traveler off in the distance. He was happy. He was home. All right, that was the cue, Dionysus. End of the episode. Happy ending. Lessons learned and all that. Legacies intact. Hephaestus's voice cracked. Dionysus said, yeah, if it was cool, he was just going to sit with the room sound in case they needed to do any noise reduction later, like... 30 seconds should be more than enough. No, no, turn it off. Now, Hephaestus blurted. Dionysus looked at his half-brother's face, then followed his gaze. Who... Who was that? It's nobody. And the episode, Hephaestus's panic grew. Well, now, Dionysus, 
king of drama, who was mad he wasn't getting his own episode this time around, grinned. He kept the mic running. Papa? Hephaestus smiled a pained smile. Uh, what? He knew all of his children, and he had never met this kid. Never had any with Aphrodite, and if she did, he could be certain they weren't his, so... My mom is not Aphrodite, Papa. It's Gaia, the kid smiled. She says, I'm your problem now? Ew, bro, that's... that's Grandma, bro. Dionysus couldn't help himself. Hephaestus' wife turned to him, eyes wide. Why did his great-grandmother... Gaia, give birth to his child. She recoiled and pulled her hand away from him. Hephaestus said he could explain, and his wife agreed that he better, because what she just said, that's a statement that required some explanation. The child gave an explanation that his mother, Gaia, had given him. Uh, She said Papa saw Athena at his forge and got real excited. He chased her because he loved her so much, but he loved her too much and got too excited too soon. Athena laughed at him, but whatever fell to the earth, well, my mama made me. She says don't come and visit her for the holidays, the kid explained to the horrified family. You, you tried to, you acted like, like him, like Zeus with Athena? Hephaestus' wife screamed at him. Babe, please, nothing happened, Hephaestus pleaded. His wife said that the child here would seem to indicate otherwise. Uh, Hephaestus said he was in a bad spot after Aphrodite. It, it was before they got together. He, he was a different person. His wife scooped up the kids. That wasn't better. It's never justified. She was going to go stay at her mother's in the ocean. <sighs> it was before I met her, though, Hephaestus said to his brother after his wife left. So it doesn't like undercut my family man redemption arc, right? Dionysus could see that the drama was winding down, so it was time for him to go. He didn't need to hang around and hear his brother's myriad justifications for being terrible. Attempted sexual assault, yes. Yes, it does undermine your family man arc, but episode construction-wise, it really fits at the end. Like, we're ending at the beginning. Like, you kept going to Zeus, wanting him to accept you, and then at the end, your own son comes here, wanting you to accept him, and you reject him? It's perfect. When did this happen? Dionysus packed up his mic. When I was sowing my wild oats after Aphrodite, it was a mistake. Hephaestus looked to the ground. Yeah, obviously, it was a mistake. Athena, huh? Didn't know you were a helmet guy. (sighs) Sowing your wild oats, too. Kind of really descriptive there because it fell to the ground. And you know what? I don't want to think about it. This is really gross. Hephaestus begged him, please. He couldn't leave him like this. He had to help Hephaestus redeem himself. Dionysus sighed, please, that's enough. Shut up, Hephaestus. And Hephaestus, again, was alone. This time, though, it was completely his fault. Next time up, we see things from Aphrodite's side and see why it's not easy being seafoam green. Because Aphrodite means seafoam and it's a Kermit the Frog joke. The handful of people out there familiar with the folk etymology of Aphrodite's name got it and also probably thought it was a bit of a stretch. 
Next week, though, it's fighting fate in Indian folklore. And we'll see why you shouldn't let your kid wander alone into a tiger-infested jungle. Not because they have no skills and might run into wild animals, but because they might see the face of God. The creature this time is the sea hare, from stuff guys in Europe thought was real in the ancient medieval world. As people believed in the ancient medieval world, if it exists on land, there's a counterpart for it in the sea. I mean, you have the sea horse, sea lion, sea sponge, sea dragon, sea cucumber, sea louse, seal... Yeah, okay, I'm stretching that last one. Basically, it's an immutable scientific fact, and just because we haven't found a sea cat doesn't mean it doesn't exist. You know what does exist, though? Sea hares. They have the head, legs, and ears of a hare, but the body of a fish, because they gotta live underwater. Unlike their land counterpart, or rather, like exactly one instance of their land counterpart from Monty Python and the Holy Grail, they will attack anything and everything, quote, within their reach or not. Which, yeah, it'll come after you. Naturalist Pliny the Elder wrote that not only were they relentless, but they were also extremely venomous. The only cure? Crayfish. Said to exist in the Indian Ocean, the six-foot-long crayfish, if you catch it, beat it to death, burn it, mix the ashes with water, and mix the water with donkey milk, you have an effective anti-venom. Pliny also mentions using wine in all such cases. It doesn't help, just might take the edge off being attacked by a venomous sea hare and having to drink ashes mixed with warm donkey milk to survive. Don't get on the bad side of the sea hare, or if you do, make sure you have some six-foot-long crayfish nearby. Also, apparently, fox pelts. I'm not sure why Pliny was so into burning stuff, but the ashes of fox pelts, once again when mixed with wine, are beneficial against venom, moist discharges, liver failure, and shortness of breath, which is why, whenever I go running, I bring a big water bottle full of fox ash and wine. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more of the music we used in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>